It is good, so good, to gather and worship and song and to see you all and to pray together. And I know some of you are still at that awkward stage right now, emotionally. It's like, do I shake your hand? Do I hug? Do I not do any of that? I get it. I get it. And um, so again, love and unity as we worship uh, God today. Hey, grab your Bibles and uh, turn, would you please, um, to Philippians chapter 4. I know you're so used to me for like a year saying, turn to John, turn to John, turn to John. Some of you are like, who's John? Um, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, as you're turning there, we started a new series called Thriving in Difficult Times. I have a friend who's sort of related this whole pandemic to that of being in a desert sort of trying to survive desert-like living. And think about this. If you were stranded in the desert, you didn't choose it, right? Vacation spot, that's not your vacation spot, is it? No. It's probably a mountain. It's a beach. It's somewhere else, right? Never a desert. Nobody asked to be in a desert. Nobody wanted to be there. Nobody wants to be alone there. It's, it's like a wrong thing, right? The amazing thing is that in the desert experience that we're all sort of experiencing right now through isolation and everything that's going on, you don't get to choose who you can be with or whether or not you're going to work or what you can or cannot do. There's a lot of things that we've been limited on, but you know what we've not been limited on, and that is our choice to choose how we respond to all this. You still get to choose that. How do you respond to all this? That, that's, that's on us, right? So during this difficult and depressing and discouraging desert-like time, we established last couple of weeks that prayer must be part of this time in our lives. It is essential. It is not optional. It is essential for our spiritual well-being, and we must build prayer into our life because it won't grow on its own. So in Philippians chapter 4, it says this, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Now, the church that I grew up in, we started off with some King James Bibles, and we eventually went to the New International Version. And so I want to read to you from a different version. This is the NIV. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your, or with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That was how I remember reading that growing up and, and uh, understand that the author of this book is Paul. Now, remember from last week, I said, Paul was in prison when he's writing this. Remember verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Does that sound like somebody who's in prison? We don't know if he was in a dungeon cell or he's under house arrest because he, he did both, actually, throughout his life. Many believe that he was under house arrest when he was writing this particular letter. But as he wrote it, he's not happy. He's joyful. Big difference. Happiness is external. You do something nice for me, I do something nice for you. You're happy because somebody gave you something or you experienced something. And so that's good. Joy is internal. It's not contingent upon what happens outside these walls or my life. I'm still finding joy. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I'm, I'm full of joy, man. Rejoice, my friends. I'll, again, I'll say it's in the Lord. Rejoice. 
I'm full of joy. Because where is this rejoicing coming from? This joy is coming from the Lord. That's his foundation. It's the Lord that gives him the ability to be full of joy because God's character includes joy. It is supernatural. Happiness, not so much. Joy, all the more. Paul rejoices in the Lord. His focus is not on the prison. His focus is not on loneliness. His, his focus is not on lack of freedom, which a lot of us feel right now, I can't do this, and I'm by myself isolated. And Paul's focus was not on anything. His focus was what? On the Lord, a sovereign God. So our prayers in our moments of being anxious are founded upon our sovereign, supreme, most high God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say, rejoice. The desert or desert life is, is real for us. We get that. But what we need is somebody divine. And that's God. That's why we pray. We must connect with the supreme God of ours. He knows all. He controls all. He is God. Now let me take you off to a side story now. You guys remember David? David and Goliath? Look me up on the screen. You can see that big picture of that giant. David was supposedly a teenager, maybe 12, 13 years old, when he faced this giant. And he was doing a, what King Saul and nobody in the army wanted to do. So David was like, I got this, right? So he goes out and fights this big giant. He's victorious. First Samuel chapter 18 and 19 says that David basically then went into King Saul's court and served under King Saul for the next time period. And during that time period, King Saul got really jealous. Oh, everybody's singing about David and his great victories. Nobody's singing about me. And his jealousy started to build. And we learn that Saul turns disobedient towards God. And God removes his spirit. And an evil spirit enters into Saul's life. And he gets very full of rage and anger. Now, I don't know about you. This is going to be confession time. I don't know about any of you, but during this whole COVID experience, this pandemic, two months being cooped, I mean, uh, being home, um, I'm sure nobody in here has had moments of anger, right? Although I have made some phone calls to some people. It's like, hey, how are you guys doing? How are you holding up? Well, we're all home. We're all eating together. We haven't done that in a long time. Evening meals together, and it, that's, that's really enjoyable. But I also want to wring the neck of some of my family members at times, right? Confession time. I've had bad moments, bad days, which turned into a bad attitude. And then I find these bad words in my head. I'm going, pastor has bad words in his head. Is it a tormenting spirit from the devil? Have I given a foothold to Satan? And it's like, I'm telling you, it's real, isn't it? It's, there's moments when I sort of feel like I am allowing that rage to come in and I don't like it. Maybe sort of like what Saul was experiencing. I don't know. Maybe some of you can relate. Some of you, maybe you're just so angelic and perfect right now. You got this better than I do, right? Regardless, when you look at the scripture and it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And it's like, I don't know if I'm feeling the joy right now. Look at the very next thing that Paul says in verse five. He says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Or again, let's go to that NIV translation. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
The Lord is near. Now this gentleness, like, again, Paul's in prison. He's saying, I'm full of joy because I'm rejoicing in the Lord. So I've got his joy in me. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. In other words, I know you're struggling right now. I know you're full of rage or anger or whatever it may be. But I'm going to challenge you to be long-suffering, to be, have a forbearing spirit, to be level-headed, to be tempered, and not let your rage take control, not let your anger take control, not let your emotions wring the neck of somebody near you. It's being calm. During tough times, can I establish this calm, positive spirit? Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Basically, what he's saying is, what I want you to do, I'm describing the heart of a person who's basically said, I'm going to let God fight my battles for me. I'm going to let him take care of this. Because I can't. At least not level-headed right now, anyway. It's the person who says, I'm free to let go of my anxieties and all the things that are causing me stress right now. Because I know that the Lord will take it upon him and help me. That's what Paul's saying here. And then verse 5 goes on to say what? The Lord is near. Last week it was what? Rejoice in the Lord, which means we have this firm foundation in the God who is a provider, a forgiver, one full of grace. He is almighty. He is creator more. And Paul says rejoice in him. And now he says he, the Lord, is near. That almighty creator. Now again, the translation for this has various meanings. As some translators look at this and they say, well, when he says the Lord is near, what he is saying is the Lord's going to return soon. So, in light of Jesus coming back someday soon, all my troubles that are going on right now, guess what? He's coming back soon. He's going to take care of this. So I can be gentle, right? I can have peace, right? Another translation for this is, the Lord is near, like this. I am near my podium. That's the nearness, the proximity, the location. When it says the Lord is near, what Paul's getting at is, the Lord is near us. He's right here with us. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all because... Lord is near. He's right here. It's like Paul saying, let me give you some reasons as to why you should be at peace, why you can find hope, right? And it's nothing new. Throughout Scripture, God reminds us He is near. God is with us. Go back to Genesis. We can't do this because this would be like, I don't have enough slides or time to do this. So if I just pulled a few from Genesis with Abram, with Hagar, with Isaac, Joshua 1 verse 9, God is near, God is with us. Oh, and then check this out. When God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, his name was also what? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So all through the Old Testament, God is near us. God is with us. God is near us. God is with us. And then to get to the New Testament, God's like, I'm going to show you how near I am to you. Boom, and he sends himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. And then Jesus himself, before going off to the cross, he looks at his disciples and says, Hey guys, listen, I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to give you another advocate who will, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. The world doesn't recognize him. 
It goes on to say in verse 17, 18, but, I, but you know him because he lives in you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is like, listen, I'm leaving. Emmanuel, God with you, I'm going to be leaving. But when I leave, my Holy Spirit's going to come in right away. My advocate. So God is not going to leave you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ in this room today, God's never left you. Never has, never will. The Lord is near. As a child of God, as a Christian, I can proclaim this. John 1, 12 says, Yet to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are his child. God does not abandon you. You are not orphaned. He is with you. Psalm 118.6. This is a verse that we all as Christians should like have it written somewhere. The Lord is for me. So I will have no fear. God is for me. He's with me. I'll post that somewhere. Let people know. You know, as a Christian, I'm proclaiming this. I'm proclaiming this. According to Philippians 4, 6, we know we're not supposed to be worried and anxious, right? So we got through verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And verse 5 says, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. But we get to verse 6, it says what? Do not be anxious about anything. But church, listen to this. When the, when the Bible was written, it wasn't like the authors were like, okay, let's see. Ah. Yeah, they had a ballpoint pen. And they were like, let's see. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. Six. Um, do not be anxious about anything. Seven. No. It was, it was a letter. And then they took that letter and they broke it into verses and they broke it into chapters. And so when we read this, we're reading, well, look what verse four says. Paul would have said, hey, look at my letter. Period. You would have to read it through to find this. So if we were to read it as Paul wrote it, it would have flowed like, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious. There would have been no break, verse 6. Isn't that good to know that when we are feeling anxious and worrisome, it's like, wait, wait, did you forget the words right before it? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And if you're in the camp today where it's like, sometimes I forget that, that's okay. If you sometimes forget that the Lord is near and you still get anxious, that's okay. You're in good company. You remember the disciples? When they were with Jesus, they were going to feed the mass of 5,000 plus people. And they, they, had, they didn't have anything really. And they're like, oh, Jesus, send them home. I want you to remember that moment. The disciples basically told Jesus, send them home. This is a problem. Jesus said, feed them. This is an opportunity. See, our problems, we forget that sometimes God says, that might be your problem, but it's really my opportunity. But we forget that. We forget that the Lord is near to help us turn those problems into opportunities. We forget, just like the disciples. The disciples were like, just send them home. Jesus like, why? Why would I send them home? I can take care of this. Did you forget I'm here with you? <laughs> you guys keep forgetting I'm right here. They had witnessed dozens of miracles before all this. They knew what he could do, but they forgot. And yet at the end of this miracle in John chapter 16, here's the amazing thing. They still had all their money. Never once did they open up that money bag and let's go buy some fish and bread. No, never opened, stayed closed. He took a couple pieces of bread, a couple pieces of fish, broke and fed thousands, and then he had 12 baskets left over. 
When you think about all that, here's the thing. The anxiety was needless because Jesus is near us. So what is our dilemma? What are we limited by? They were lacking food, right? Jesus took care of that. What are you lacking today? Where are you limited? What resources? Is it finances? Is it relationships? Is it your energy? Your time? Is it patience? You're really lacking on that right now. Where are you feeling lacking right now where you're like, okay, God, are you near me because I need help with this? Listen, that's what you're holding in one hand. Whatever it is you're lacking right now, whatever it is you're struggling with right now, let's say you're holding that, okay? Did you forget who's holding your other hand? The Lord is near us. It doesn't matter what you got over here. The Lord is near us. You might have problems grabbing one hand, but Jesus is holding the other. And some of us forgot that Jesus is holding our hand because, you know, COVID-19, don't touch anybody. They got germs. Okay, thanks for holding my hand, Jesus. Sanitizer, right? We're so used to that. And it's like, just like, you knock it off with a sanitizer. I've got holy hands, right? You want to talk about sanitizing hands. He's got them, okay? And we have to understand, and the reason I'm, I need to take a break here for a second, because some of us might be struggling with some of this whole COVID stuff that's going on. I want you to know, when you open up the Bible and you get to um, Genesis 1, the very beginning, creation. Genesis chapter 2, God creates man. And then he's like, I'm going to have a relationship with you, Adam. So God has a relationship with Adam. And then God's like, now, Adam, I want you to go name the animals and I want you to go take care of the garden. I'm giving you a job. I'm giving you purpose. And then the third thing he does, you know what, Adam? I've noticed you're a little bit alone here. You're by yourself. You're isolated. I'm going to create woman. It's not good for man to be alone. So then he created a woman. And now there's a relationship. The first three things God did after he created everything was he created us to have a relationship with him. He created us to have purpose and work. And then he created us to be together. This coronavirus has really made people fractured in their relationship with God, unemployed people, and has separated people and isolated them. I'm not saying this is like a thing of the devil, but I'm just telling you, this is not what God intended. So if you're struggling through this whole coronavirus and you're struggling with what's going on around with you, that's okay, you should, because this is not what God intended. God intended us for to be in a relationship with him, to work and to have relationships. And it's been taken away from some of us. So if you're like, I must be sinful. No, you're just being deprived of what God intended. So with that in mind, build in your relationship with the Lord. Nobody can take that away from you right now. No virus can do that. And as far as purpose and work, even if you're unemployed, I'm going to imagine you still have skills and gifts that you can use at home or wherever even though you may not be employed, you can still use that God's given you to do purpose. And then others, praise God, we got today. <laughs> We're able to start connecting again. And some of you are able to connect with others at work or family members, but maybe this is your first step of connecting with other people in the community. This is what God intended. So back to this here now. So what's going to happen here is I'm is reading is that David who was struggling, he's going to take what was going on in his life and give a prayer to God. Sort of like what 
Paul's talking about praying. But he's going to take his prayer and he's going to turn it into a song. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 59. Psalm 59. Now, I'm going to go back to the first Samuel for a second. I want to give you some history here. King Saul and David, remember the two of them? King Saul is very jealous of David, very rage-filled with David. He actually, I think there was six, seven, maybe eight murderous attempts on David's life by King Saul. And they're recorded throughout 1 Samuel 18 and 19. And during those times, David's ducking. Saul was actually throwing javelins at him, ducking javelins, hiding from soldiers that were coming to arrest him and kill him. And there's one incident where David is with his wife. They're at home, and David's wife is actually King Saul's daughter. And his daughter finds out that the king is coming to capture him and kill him. So she goes, David, my dad's coming. He's going to take you and throw you in prison and kill you probably. You need to escape. So she helps David escape out the back. All these soldiers are coming. She takes them. She hides it in bed and covers up a blanket, makes it look like he's in there sleeping. And they come in. Oh, don't leave him. Don't you know? Don't get on me sleeping. You know. Anyway, they finally bust in there and like, yeah. And then it's not David. David's off hiding. He's in isolation. And while he is hiding in isolation, he writes Psalm 59. So let's read this together, verse one and two. Rescue me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who have come to destroy me. Rescue me from these criminals and save me from these murderers. Did you see those words? Rescue me. Protect me. Rescue me. Those are not casual thoughts. He's not like, oh, what should I write today? Rescue me. No, he's like, this is desperation here. God is omniscient, right? Which means he knows all things. He knows our hearts. He knows what's going on. But that shouldn't stop us from calling out to God. Just because God knows it all doesn't mean we don't talk to him about it. Tell God about it. As a Christian, listen, we belong to God. He wants to know what's going on in your life. Look at verse 4. I have done nothing wrong, yet they prepare to attack me. Wake up. See what's happening and help me. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, wake up and punish those hostile nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. See, even David, he's a successful man of God, right? He feels abandoned and neglected. Do you see his tone of voice now with God? Hey, wake up, God. Do you see what's going on? Like some of us in here, you're like, I would never talk that way to God. But how many times have our prayers sort of felt that way? Come on, God, don't you see what's going on? God, if you're so good, why is there evil? Why is there pain, right? We've asked those questions. And he addresses God with words and sort of bolsters up his belief. It's like, I'm a warrior and I'm coming to you. You are a general, God. You're in charge of heaven's armies. So like Paul, who found joy where? In the Lord, right? David now approaches God and he uses very intimate names for God, very personal names of God. First he goes, Yahweh. That's God's personal name. And then he says, Elohim Savah, which is the God of hosts, who is in charge of the armies of Israel and the heavenly host of angels that stands behind me and gives me victory. That's what his name means. And then he uses another name for God, Elohim Yisrael, which is the God of Israel, which refers to the God of that created an everlasting and eternal covenant with his people. Very personal words and names that David calls upon the Lord God Most High. So is his tone starting to change? You see this? rescue me and then wake up and then you're the God of all, right? He's, he's person. Then he gets into 
describing his attackers. Two verses, they're, they're basically repeated, verse 4 and verse 14. They come out of the night snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. My enemies come out of the night snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. David's like, my enemy, um, it's like a vicious dog. Now, back in this time when David's writing, dogs are not pets. A lot of you in here have pets. You have cats, you have dogs, maybe fish or, I don't know, gerbil. I don't know. You have pets. Some of you are like, I like animals. I don't want pets. And then there's other of you like, I don't like pets or animals. I want to go to the zoo. Okay? Um, it's across the spectrum, right? But back in, you know, so when we think about dogs, though, there's so many people. I'm, I'm telling you, I've done a lot of walking in the last two months. I see a lot of people walking their dogs. I didn't realize so many people had so many pets, right? They didn't have dogs as pets back then. The dogs roamed the streets at night in packs, in groups, looking for garbage, looking for food scraps that might have been tossed outside. They were vicious. They growled. They sounded dangerous. It wasn't like, oh, come here, little puppy. No, it was like, dogs, let's get, let's get inside. It was a different set than it was today. Me, I like dogs. I grew up on a farm. We had dogs, we had cats, we had all kinds of stuff. I'm sort of animaled out, so I don't have any now. But when Jenny and I were going for a walk last, last summer, we were going for a walk, and somebody's dog was off its leash. And it came running at us, and I just got in between Jenny and the dog. It attacked me, bit into my elbow, arm, legs, knees, and shins. And finally, the owner got it under control and took it away. And I'm bleeding all over the place. We finished our walk and cleaned up. No stitches necessary. But it was like, that was not fun. Right? And so here's the thing now. Anytime we walk in that neighborhood and we go by that place and that dog is on the other side of the fence now, even though there's a fence, and it barks or runs towards the fence, my heart beats. You know, my my mind is already calculating probably, you know, a good couple hundred yards before we get there. If that dog jumps the fence, what am I going to do this time? Because of the viciousness of the attack, now every time something happens, it just sort of signals, what do I do, right? You've all experienced certain pains in your life. Whether it was an attack, whether it was like a satanic attack, and what I mean by that is you knew it was a spiritual warfare going on or something bad happened in your life. Anytime that is mentioned, anytime you catch a, a little... I don't know, a story or something that remind, it just sort of rears up in you, right? And you're like, the anxiety level starts to go up. Because I remember when that happened, right? And it's a vicious, like a vicious dog. All it needs to do is just bark. And already I'm a little nervous. And David is saying here that his enemies, you know, his enemies are barking pretty loud. And he's already been attacked a couple times. So every time those enemies start rising up, he gets little, right? So he calls out to God. You know why? Because look how God looks at it. Verse 8. But Lord, you laugh at them. You scoff at these hostile nations. David recognizes and proclaims, you know what? God's bigger than my fears. God's bigger than all these things that come at me. You're bigger than my enemies. There's, there's no threat to God They are not a threat to him. His tone changes. He goes on to say in verse 9, You are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me. For you, O God, are my fortress. In his unfailing love, my God will stand with me. He will let me look down and triumph on all my enemies. 
God, you're my fortress. You are my fence that protects me from these dogs. God, you are unfailing in your love. These are proclamations. When we pray, let me ask you this. Do you pray and ask and ask, or do you proclaim in your prayers? A lot of us ask God, but do you proclaim, God, you are awesome. You're mighty. God, you protect me. Do you make those kind of proclamations in your prayers? And his prayers go from proclamations to song. He tells God, God, you do your thing. But as for me, I'm going to sing about you right now. He's like, you're going to sing, David? David, what are you going to sing about? Look at verse 16 and 17. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning, I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. He's like, God, you have been. Do you see what he's doing? He's remembering back. How many of you have a story to tell when God did something in your life? When he showed up in a way you never thought he would. He answered a prayer. He provided a miracle. He did something amazing in your life. Like, wow. That's what David's saying. God, I remember when you did this. Praise to you. And I'm going to sing about it. He used my place of safety when I was in distress. My strength. And he sings a happy song. He's not singing those sad, sappy songs. Okay? And what I mean by that? I ask high school girls a lot when I work with them at the FCA with their teams. And I'm like, hey, when you guys are sad, what do you do? What do you listen to? Sad songs. Okay. Why? And they're like, uh, I don't know. It's like, so let's say you're hitting yourself in the arm and it hurts. Does it hurt? Yeah. What are you going to do? I'm going to hit myself harder in the arm. No, you stop. So when you're sad, don't listen to a sad song. It's just driving it home more, right? I, I try to bring that across to these young ladies. And I'm not just driving on the young ladies. There might be some men in here too. There might be some adults in here too that we're like, yeah, I do listen to sad songs when I'm sad. Well, stop, okay? When you're sad, don't pour on the sadness. Put on some joy. Put, put something in there music-wise that's going to help you bounce back and find joy and happiness and peace, right? Verse 17, David says, Oh, my strength. To you I sing praises, for you, O God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. David's like, I'm not going to sing those happy songs. I'm going to sing good songs. I'm going to sing praise songs. Another passage, Psalm 57. I'm going to close on this. I ask the worship team to come on up, or Dave, come on up. I think Dave's coming up. Psalm 57. So here's another incident. Saul's chasing David, going to kill him. Another time he's being chased down. This time David's hiding in the caves out in the wilderness. Can you imagine? You talk about being isolated somewhere you don't want to be. How about being isolated in a cave for days, for weeks, right? And in this cave, he writes Psalm 57. He says this, My enemies have set a trap for me, and I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder what? I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. How many of you wake up in the morning like, oh, I'm awake now and it's sunrise, so I'm going to sing. David's like, the sun's not up. I'm going to sing and make the sun come up, right? I will thank you, Lord, among all people. I will sing your praises among the nations. Verse 10. For your unfailing love is as high as the heaven. 
Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine all over the earth. David, like Paul, were both in circumstances that were challenging. And Paul's like, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. For the Lord is near. And David's like, yeah, the Lord is near. And I'm not just going to pray to God. I'm going to sing to God. Church, how do you deal with difficult times? We said prayer, right? Let me add one more now. Singing. Worshiping in song. And you're like, well, I'm not a good singer. Then just play the music. There's a lot of great music out there right now that focuses in on who God is. And if you're struggling, you're having a rough day, crank up the music. You ever been in a car? You're like, you get my age, you start listening to maybe talk radio or something, right? And I'm like listening to a news station and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Change the station to a song. Because what happens with me when I hear the news of the day, my, my, my joy level, sorry, my happiness level goes way down. But when I think of what God does and I listen to the music that's uplifting and encouraging, right? That, that focuses on God, my happiness level starts to go back up. But here's the thing. My joy level should never be moving because my joy is in the Lord, right? I probably could have said all this from the last 30 minutes, probably in one sentence. But I want to encourage you, church. Are you singing to God? I know you're praying. Rhonda Borden did a great job at giving us 30 days of prayer, the post that she puts out there. We need to pray. And we need to sing. Through difficult times, let's sing. Would you stand? We'll pray and sing. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. That you give us moments like this to gather together as you created us to do thousands of years ago. And here we are gathered together and we we pray and we worship in truth and we worship by singing. So God, as we sing this song to you, may you be glorified. May you be honored because you are God and you deserve it all. We love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.